Blog Talk Radio. Hello and good morning. This is Nick Augustine here with attorney Mark Scroggins of Rule Scroggins PLLC, the divorce and family law firm in Dallas serving Dallas and Collin counties. This is the Rule Scroggins Family Law Podcast Series featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law. Today's show is Alcohol and Drug Use and Abuse in Texas and Family Law with Attorney Mark Scroggins. Today we're going to talk about temporary orders and standing orders covering alcohol or drugs in divorce and custody cases. Also, we'll talk about how drugs and alcohol use and abuse can affect conservatorship, possession, and access. Uh, we'll also talk about random drug or alcohol testing or sometimes surprise drug and, all, drug and alcohol testing right on the spot, uh, which can be a really a, a sea change in directions in divorce and family law cases. When that occurs, uh, we'll talk about allegations of alcohol or drug use or abuse in fault ground divorces and also some of the different options for alcohol and drug testing analysis and uh, its impact in divorce and family law. Again, I'm here with board-certified family law attorney Mark Scroggins, who's an aggressive and experienced trial attorney with a sound understanding of business matters that serves him well in family law. He's an accomplished speaker and author, and Mr. Scroggins has practiced family law throughout the state of Texas for over 20 years. He's written about family law matters for Texas Lawyer, and numerous other periodicals, and has spoken about litigation technology before numerous organizations and corporate clients. Mark Scroggins has a unique background in cutting-edge litigation technology, which is utilized by the entire firm to increase benefit to its litigation clients. Short disclaimer, this is a general information program. The program is not legal advice. Listening to this program does not create an attorney-client relationship. And for more information, please call Rule Scroggins directly to speak to an attorney by dialing 214-578-0941. Again, that's 214-578-0941. All rights to this broadcast are reserved, and it's time to say hello to Mark Scroggins. Hey, Dick, how are you? I'm doing well today, Mark, and I thought that uh, it's kind of appropriate here on uh, Good Friday, uh, before Easter here in Texas, that we would talk a little bit about... (laughs) You know, on the the calendar I brought home from church, it says abstinence. And, you know, we're here to talk about drugs today. So (laughs) let's get right down to it. (laughs) Right. So, you know, one of those things that just, um, uh, you know, not something that people want to talk about sometimes, but it's kind of a necessary thing. So before we get into some of the the nitty-gritty detail here, I'd just like to, to hear over your 20 years in family law, just some, some thoughts and experiences or examples you've seen confidentially, of course, where alcohol or drug use or abuse really adversely affected or endangered Texas children. Well, I mean, one of the things that you've, you've got to remember, I mean, is that drug and alcohol abuse is, you know, rampant in, in society these days. And one of the things that, you know, that's, it's a serious allegation to be made that somebody has a drug or alcohol issue. Uh, but the other thing you've got to realize is, excuse me, that, you know, judges are going to err on the side of caution. If there is an allegation of drug or alcohol abuse made and there's any, you know, evidence to support that, um, you know, then they're going to err on the side of caution and, and create a situation where, uh, they're going to try to protect the child as, as best they can. And that, you know, can be through random drug, drug and alcohol testing. It can be through what is called, you know, a sober link situation. There are also things that are, uh, 
you used to see almost exclusively in uh, in criminal matters, but now you're seeing it in family law where someone has a uh, oh uh, it's like a band that goes goes around the ankle that uh, can tell if somebody has been drinking or not, and uh, so there are a whole bunch of different things that that factor factor into that, and generally. You know, the court, like I said, is going to err on the side of caution to try to make sure whether or not there is actually a problem. And, and if there is, then they're going to, you know, put uh, put a lot of these different things in place. And, uh, you know, and that's going to affect your, your possession schedule and stuff like that. Someone, you know, if it's been shown that they've got a drug or alcohol issue uh, and it's, it's not in remission, uh, you know, they're not – involved in a 12-step program, they're not maintaining sobriety, something like that, you know, they're going to have supervised periods of possession and uh, they're going to be probably randomly drug tested and they might even have, you know, a, an alcohol bracelet on there that can determine whether or not somebody has uh, has been drinking. So there are just a whole lot of different things that go into that. All right. You know, it's, it's it's a complex thing, and I appreciate your uh, pointing out that it's a significant allegation, um, especially when, uh, you know, family law or family law court records, to the extent they're not otherwise sealed, uh, this is something that can come back to haunt someone later. Um, you know, our permanent records, so to speak, uh, are, are a little more you know, at one point, the permanent record seemed to be locked in a file cabinet back somewhere, but now people can access these things online, um, and it's something to get out there. Have you seen any cases uh, or <clears throat> thoughts on, you know, when you say the court is errs on the side of caution, um, does anything jump to your head of uh, times that a court decided not to err on the side of caution and um, when there were problems? You know, there, there. I had a case um, where, you know, a gal had. Uh, I represented the husband in in this case, and uh, actually it was a modification, so the ex-husband. And um, there were allegations of uh, of alcohol abuse, and the the wife had gone into treatment, and uh, there was a very limited period of time that she had. Uh, going through a step-up order, going from, you know, supervised possession to basically a regular uh, standard possession order. And the court did not impose, um, you know, making her wear a bracelet or something like that 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 I just talked about a second ago. You know, and lo and behold, um, about nine months later, you know, she gets a, she gets a DWI with kidney tar. And, so uh, I think, you know, obviously things changed immediately after that, and uh, uh, there were all kinds of ramifications of that. But that's uh, that's one of the few times that I've seen that the court really didn't, um, I don't think, took it as seriously as, as he should have. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, too, you know, a DWI is a bad thing to happen. Well, what, what if that child had been injured in, in the process? You know, and, and now, well, and the other thing is with the you know if you've got a if you get a DWI with a child in the car, that's a felony. That's you know that's a whole different situation than just a a regular uh, you know someone just getting a DWI, which is a which is a misdemeanor. So it's it's a whole different issue there. And I thought you know the court really 
didn't uh, didn't consider it as much as he should have. But you know, once everything turned on that that subsequent uh, that subsequent arrest, I mean, obviously things things completely changed. So. Right, right. Well, you know, and to, you know, and our judges are are you know elected judges. You know, want to win in reelection, and um, you know that case where uh, drug or alcohol or testing didn't get ordered, that could have resulted in again uh, a far graver uh, situation that drew a lot of more attention. Um, you know, another thing that is, uh, I don't want to say it's new, but um, the stress involved in a divorce or family law situation may involve a mental health professional maybe prescribing uh, some sort of uh, drugs, you know, legally prescribed drugs to mom or dad. And mom or dad also is a light to medium drinker. Uh, you, know, you know, we're seeing more problems of mixtures of prescription uh, drugs and alcohol, which, you know, people might not think, well, it's not that big of a deal, but they may not realize how it's affecting them. Um, your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question that um, you know the the biggest increase in uh, in drug addiction or drug abuse has has been in the area, of, <clears throat> excuse me, in the area of pre- prescription medications. I mean, one of the most probably the most common is is you know hydrocodone, which is you know a pain medication. Um, but another one that is an anti-anxiety uh, medication is Xanax, that is uh, you know frequently abused. Um, so. Those are those are uh, a little bit more difficult uh, situations. I mean, what you've got to what you've got to be able to look at is is determining whether or not the person has actually been taking those drugs in accordance with the way they were prescribed. And and mm-hmm. what you see in say drug seeking type of behavior is uh, you know doctor shopping, so to speak. You you see somebody who is going to you know different doctors and getting multiple prescriptions where. Uh, you know, they aren't going to have refills from a from one physician, so they have to go there and they are you know taking more than uh, you know more than what they are uh, supposed to be taking. That is something though that is that is easier to determine really than the alcohol abuse because uh, if you've got random drug testing, I mean the drugs stay in your system for a longer period of time and doing a you know either a hair follicle test or or fingernail test you're going to be able to see, you know, certain levels to see if somebody has been abusing those things. Alcohol is a different deal um, because, you know, basically unless somebody has, has actively been drinking, you know, you're not going to pick it up through a, you know, through a, a urine test or a blood test. Um, you know, <clears throat> that's why when I mentioned the, the bracelet that, uh, that is being used to some degree, that can pick something up you know, somebody's got to keep it on 24 hours a day. Um, you know, it will pick up if somebody has been drinking. Whereas if you suspect that somebody has, by the time that, you know, a, <clears throat> they go in to have a blood test done or, or a urinalysis, uh, you know, it's going to be out of their system. So that can be more difficult with the drug, you know, with drug abuse, if somebody's using prescription drugs, you're going to see something that is, registering higher than what it should and obviously with any of the legal drugs it's going to be in your system for a while so if somebody's mm-hmm. been you know smoking dope or doing cocaine or meth and that's a horrible one that you see problems with that causes all kinds of problems uh or any you know 
any other opioid or something like that, it's going to show up and it's going to be there for a while. So that is a, uh, what? you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing right now with, with what all is going on. There's, you know, as a judge too, you have, you know, you have to consider what's in the best interest of the child, um, you know, not having a case stuck in limbo, you know, having things run smoothly. Um, the judges have several options when one party accuses the other of using or abusing drugs and potentially harming the child. What are some of the typical uh, ranges? Well, we know, you know, there, there can be extreme orders, uh, but what are some of the typical things that you see judges doing when one party suggests the other is using? Well, I mean, something that happens frequently is let's say that this, you know, the allegation is made at the beginning of the case in a temporary order hearing, okay? And so temporary order hearing, you know, generally is going to take place depending on whether or not you've gotten a temporary restraining order issued within the first two weeks to uh, first month of the case. So let's say that you're in that hearing and this allegation is made. Something that is commonplace is that the court uh, will order somebody, will order one of the parties or both of the parties to to go and submit to a uh, to a drug test, you know, within a period of 12 to 24 hours, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, you're going to submit to it right now, today, you know, we're going to get this, get the, uh, get the arrangements made and you're going to go and get it done right now. So that is something that uh, can be, can be very effective. Um, Beyond that, then depending on what, what transpires, what comes back on that, is a person clean? Do they have, um, you know, do, do they have anything in their system? Based on what happens there, you know, a lot of that is going to be uh, determinative of what the, what the actual orders are. So if you've got someone that is testing positive for, you know, for drugs, uh, you know, Typically, what's going to happen is there's going to be a provision in the order that, you know, they can't uh, they can't do any uh, you know they can't do any drugs. Period. You also probably are going to have something in there about you know no alcohol consumption within a period of say 12 to 24 hours prior to or at any time during uh, having possession possession of the child. Uh, if somebody tests positive for illegal drugs and uh, or, you know, has a higher level showing that they've been abusing prescription drugs, uh, you very possibly will see that that person will have supervised possession of the child for a period of time and might, you know, be ordered to undergo some sort of a uh, drug and alcohol assessment or analysis to determine, you know, whether or not uh, it's an issue. So, there's just a whole lot of different things that the court can do. And, you know, what my experience has been is that, like I said, the, the court is always going to err on the side of caution because as elected officials, you know, they don't want to be that judge who's on the news that, you know, looks like they were soft on something and, you know, a child was harmed because of it. Right. And we've had, well, you know, and I think of the, uh, the Ethan Couch case there, you know, that judge is since retired, but, um, yeah, it can be a, no one wants that heat. Let's flip the coin now and let's talk about defending your client when your client is accused of being the one who's, uh, boozing it up. Let's say, uh, mom is the one who you think is going to, let's say mom is your client. Uh, she's likely to get uh temporary and permanent conservatorship session and access and all that. 
And you know, mom is a businesswoman. She, um, I mean, I don't know where she works, but let's say she goes to networking events. You know, she's on social media. She's there's pictures of her with a glass of wine and other people. You know, they're they're not at a big raging party. They're at a networking thing. But you know, dad comes in and says, you know, I'm a Baptist. I don't drink, and I don't. I oppose her drinking. She drinks. She's a problem. And, uh, you know, so what do you, what do you do then, uh, as mom's attorney to do, you know, because he's going to ask for her to have testing and all this and the order. And she's saying, well, you know, Hey, it's, uh, I'm a, I'm a, a safe drinker. It's not a problem. Never had any problems. No DWIs. You know, um, my other guy here is just a, a teetotaler. What do you do in situations right. like that? Well, I mean, what you're, what you're going to want to do is, you know, have some other witnesses who are going to be able to testify about, you know, her, you know, her, her drinking, you know, it does it, you know, is it a problem? Have they seen her, uh, have they seen her drunk? I mean, you know, there's a, there's a difference between, you know, seeing somebody, uh, you know, a picture on social media with someone, you know, at a social event with a glass of wine in their hand as compared to, you know, someone, you know, a picture of someone playing beer pong or something like that, you know, so <laughs> you're going to want to have other witnesses that are going to be able to testify that, you know, she, she does not have a, a problem with it. And so what the, what the court in a lot of times, if, unless there's some, some other evidence that shows that, uh, that it is an issue, the court can rely on uh, entering a temporary injunction that is going to prohibit, you know, drinking during period of possession with the child or, you know, 12 hours prior to that. And that's something that's pretty, you know, that's pretty common. Some, and that's something where restriction. That's right. That's right. And I mean, you know, the, the court's got to weigh things out. I mean, because, you know, unfortunately it is not uncommon that you, where you have a situation where, uh, you know, people exaggerate in, uh, you know, in family law because they they tend to get you know they're filled with acrimony and they tend to get dirty and and people start uh you know really trying to slam the other person now one of the things i always tell my folks is you know credibility is can only be lost once you know mm-hmm. once once you lose it it's over so if you're going to make an allegation you better be able to back it up because if you if you go in saying that you know this person has a problem with this that or the other and you don't have the evidence to actually back that up, be it uh, documentary evidence, you know, let's say that there's abuse of prescription drugs and you're able to pull stuff from various pharmacies showing that, you know, they're shopping hydrocodone prescriptions around or Xanax or something like that, you know, or you've got credit card receipts seeing that, uh, you know, showing that they've been spending, you know, a few hundred bucks a month on, on booze and, um, you know, you need something to be able to substantiate your allegation. Without that, your credibility kind of goes in the toilet. And uh, and then you're fighting an uphill battle on everything else because then it looks like you're just trying to cook the books on uh, uh, on what you're asking for. Yeah. Let's talk about faking drug tests. Um, you know, and if you have a client who maybe, you know, I, I've heard some law, some attorneys uh, tell other attorneys, you know, hey, if your client, if you think your client is using 
go get that client, you know, go get tests, you know, ha- have them take a test, see what, you know, what's in their system, what's not, you know, because they may be concerned. Well, I had some poppy seed muffins grandma gave me or, you know, things that people are worried can show a false positive, but also, um, you know, in today's world, there's a lot of technology and there are a lot of uh, products out there in ways that people uh, may try to cheat the system and uh, fake, uh, you know, using fake urine or, different things to try to cheat the drug test or as I remember in back in the day when Britney Spears shaved her head. Um, you know, what, what are some of your thoughts and experiences and recommendations on, uh, you know, do you shave your head? Do you use the, go buy the fake urine? You know, what if you got someone who's uh, trying to fake a drug test or your opposing party is, you know, jumping up and down and screaming, I know that they're faking those drug test results there. We need to step it up to higher, better drug testing, which might be available. So what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I mean, the shaving of the head or something else that you see is, you know, uh, people, <laughs> you know, bleach their <laughs> hair or, you know, things like that. I mean, you know, that basically you are telling the judge that, yeah, I've got a drug issue. <laughs> so, so that's a really bad idea. But don't One do of that. the other things that, yeah, don't do it. One of the other things you see is people try to flush the system with, uh, you know, just drinking a, a ton of water, you know, and trying to, uh, you know, trying to dilute things. And, and these tests can pick, can, can pick up some of that. So, I mean, one of the things that I would, that I tell folks and that I, I will have clients do is if there's an allegation that is made about drug or alcohol use, okay, and my client is swearing up and down that it's, you know, BS, I will have them go take a test, you know, so that we've got a baseline and can show that, hey, this was just taken and here's the, you know, here's the, the battery of tests that, that were done and, and here's how it was done, whether it's, you know, hair follicle or, you know, uh, just a urinalysis or fingernails or, or whatever and the different batteries of testing that can, that can be done so that when this allegation is made, we can have someone come in and testify that, Hey, he just, you know, he or she just submitted to this test and here's what it showed, you know, Mm -hmm. they're clean. Then it it takes the wind out of the sails of the other party. Right. Uh, Let's look at the topic of uh, financial incentive to, you know, to prove that your spouse is a drug or alcohol user, abuser, or it's a problem. Uh, allegations when alcohol is there or drug abuse is there and fault ground divorce can talk a little bit about uh, how that may change the outcome of uh, what's going to happen in your divorce when fault grounds are pled. Well, I mean, one of the, the issues is, you know, the issue there is when, when people talk about there is, let me back up for a second. There is a difference between an actual fault based divorce and fault in the breakup of the marriage, okay? Texas has, you know, uh, a no-fault statute, just like every other state in the union does. Um, And there are also fault bases for, um, you know, for granting a divorce, like infidelity, abandonment, you know, some others. However, when you start talking about alcohol or drug abuse, that is not a, you know, that falls more into the category of fault in the breakup of the marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, what is the financial impact of that? Well, a lot of that depends on 
the size of the marital estate and what the particular facts are. I mean, you know, if someone was, um, you know, a fallen down drunk or, or, you know, a heavy drug abuser, uh, that tends to lead into other, other issues that are fault bases for divorce, like uh, cruelty or infidelity. That's something that those tend to, uh, those tend to pair up with, mm-hmm. excuse me, somebody who is uh, using or abusing drugs or alcohol. So that's, uh, that can play into it. Now, if the, you know, so what that, what that will do a lot of the time in the division of the marital estate is, you know, it's going to kick up a couple of percentage points for, for the person who has had to endure that type of behavior of, of their spouse. But how much is going to depend on the severity of the facts and the size of the marital estate. As you know, you know, the larger the the marital estate, the closer the division is going to be to 50-50, really kind of regardless of what the facts are. So, you know, once you start getting it up into, you know, say 10 million or something like that, um, and sometimes less than that, you know, the court mm-hmm. really doesn't care a whole lot what the facts are because they're thinking, you know, there's plenty of money to go around. It, it's really kind of irrelevant. And that sounds, that sounds harsh and coarse, but that's, that's a fact of the matter of, of how that kind of stuff ends up working out when you've got, you know, really a lot of money. Smaller, smaller amounts, say somebody, you know, they're splitting 500000 or something like that, it's going to be a much different deal. Right, right, right. Here's another uh, interesting uh, point that I just thought about. Um, you know, we talked earlier about the temporary orders and, uh, you know, the standing orders at the beginning of a divorce and custody case. One of the things that we talk about is not talking disparagingly about the other parent from the child. So how about asking the child, you know, when alcohol or drug abuse comes up, um, you know, it would seem that if you were to ask a child, you know, when you're with mommy, does mommy drink? How much does mommy have? Does mommy ever fall asleep? Uh, you know, how, what do you tell clients when, uh, the discussion turns on, you know, what the children may know or asking the children because you, it would seem to me that you might be actually putting it into their head because kids oftentimes are, you know, unless someone's fallen down drunk, kids don't always spot uh, alcohol or drug use, uh, you know, if they because they're just their kids, they're innocent. I think you you are exactly right there. I mean, my. You know, you don't want to be looking like you're trying to pimp the kid for information because, um, you know, that's just – that is a bad, bad idea. It looks like you are uh, trying to manipulate the situation, and, you know, that almost always will backfire on you. So that is a horrible idea. You never, never, never want to, um, you know, be, for lack of a better way of putting it, cross-examining a child about your spouse's behavior. That is that is that's just a really bad idea. Judges do not like that. It will it will hurt you. Now, having said that, you know if if the child is volunteering this, you know, mommy or daddy was passed out on the couch. You know, I tried to wake her up, but she wouldn't wake up. You know, make notes of that. You know, that's something that is important to know. But you you don't try to find out. You know. Well, what was dad drinking? How much was he drinking? Did, was he acting funny? Unless that is something that is brought up by the child, that is just that falls into that category of don't go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's uh, any other uh, bits of advice uh, other than be cautious when pointing the finger. I mean, in divorce, everybody wants to pick. No one wants to be the one whose fault it is that they're getting divorced. So it seems that almost all the time, everyone's going to point the finger at the other one. And, you know, if they, if they weren't blatantly caught cheating or doing something horrible, it's drinking and drugs they're going to accuse. Um, any final uh, last uh, words of wisdom for our folks out there who are in a, in a divorce or family law situation or considering it and wondering about their own or others' drug or alcohol use? Well, let's talk about one other thing that we hadn't talked about, and that's about what, what if you've got a client who does have a drug or alcohol problem? What do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, and that is my strong suggestion to someone is I will get them uh, set up with someone who's a drug or alcohol you know, expert, an evaluator that can help them in putting together a plan on getting sober and staying sober so that when you are going in front of the court, you can, you know, admit to your wrongdoing and say, but yes, this is what I am doing to, uh, to fix that situation. And that's something that, uh, you know, it's hard for somebody to admit they've got a problem, uh, but once they do, you know, and if they're willing then to do something about it, you know, we can, we can right the wrong, so to speak. But uh, that's something that, you know, somebody's got to make a decision that if they're willing to do. So the, the important thing to, I guess, to take away from all of this is, number one, if you've got a drug or alcohol problem, you've got to make a decision as to what is, what's important to you. Do you want to, you know, do you want to have a good life and you want to have a life with your kids? If you do, then, you know, we can help make that happen by getting you help and putting together a plan to get sober and maintain your sobriety. Number two, if you've got, if you are on the other side of that, and you're saying that your spouse has drug or alcohol issues, before you just go off making half-cocked allegations, you need to make sure that you're going to be able to verify some of that. Now, what you see all the time now are people have recorded conversations where you can hear the other person, you know, slurring their speech and, uh, you know, going off on something, that type of behavior, that's fantastic evidence that shows that the other person is lit, you know, <laughs> and, and right. look at that and go, hmm, you know, we're going to, we're going to safeguard the kids here and you're not going to do, you know, you're not going to drink anytime you've got the kids and, you know, you're not going to uh, have unsupervised possession unless you, uh, unless you get some help. So, so you want to, you know, if you got a problem, go get help. If you, if you're making the allegation, make sure that you've actually got some evidence, whether it is, uh, you know, some, some recordings, some video, uh, some postings on social media, some other uh, people who are going to testify. You need to make sure that you, that you can verify what you are yeah. saying. Because psychotic if, text if, messages, if late possible, night psychotic text messages, let's not forget those, the late night, uh, the, te- the, the texts where you can tell they're like speaking into the phone and they just go on for pages. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, that kind of goes along with something you and I have talked about before with, you know, social media stuff. It's amazing the things that people will post that, you know, you would never do. You would, you would never sit there and tell somebody, you know, and yet you're going to so you know, somebody's going to post a pic of them just, you know, drunk as Cooter Brown in Vegas hanging out <laughs> with, you know, idiots, you know, but people do that. So, right. you know, they're just, don't hang out with Peter Brown while going like through the, divorce. Bad idea. Yeah, and, and and people do that. You know, they go out and all of a sudden, you know, 
guy's going through a divorce, and so he's going out to Vegas with some of his uh, uh, some of his buddies, you know, and he's hanging out with you know a couple of hoochie mamas out there and posting pictures. And uh, and guess what? You know, you're still married until the divorce is granted. You know, that is not going to yeah. bode well for you. It also, if there's an issue of drug or alcohol abuse, you know, and you're sitting there with a scotch in your hand and your your eyes are at half mast. Guess what? That isn't going to look good. Right. So, and, you know, I'll, I'll so, say this, too. People may think that they're uh, fooling their – I always think that people think that they're fooling their lawyer. And, you know, as, as an attorney, you had to take people how you receive them and whatnot. But, you know, I can tell people this. The judge it doesn't get past the judge. The judge does this all day long. The judge has seen it before. You think you could pull a fast one. You might be able to, you know, get it past a few people a few times. But for our elected judges to go through what they've gone through to get into those spots, trust me, they've seen it. They know what's going on. And, Mark, I liked your statement. I think it's one of the best statements that you've made today was you only have one shot at credibility. Well, thanks, Nick. Yeah, that is uh, that's something that is, uh, you know, that has been my experience. <laughs> so if, you know, if you get caught uh, stretching the truth, uh, that credibility is gone, and you know the the ability to rehabilitate yourself is you know next to zero. So it's it's really rough. There you go. Well, we're just about out of time. Could you uh, be so kind and uh, let the folks listening to this podcast, whether they be other lawyers or uh, people who are considering divorce or uh, run into this podcast for other reasons, um, if they want to continue this dialogue and learn more and pick your brain uh, based on your 20 years of experience and being a board-certified family law attorney and someone who uh, just is a straight shooter who's going to tell them the truth, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, what's the best bet? You know, you can always get me at the office at 214-578-0941. You can also send me an email at mark at rulescroggins.com. All right. Well, Mark, I want to thank you uh, for your time today, and I want to remind the folks out there who listen to uh, these podcasts to be kind and share them when you find them in your Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, because you just never know who's looking for information, who may be uh, having someone who may have a concern about their drinking or drug use or abuse and may have a divorce coming up. People don't always uh, you know, paint a, a sign on, put it on the side of their car that says, I may have a drinking problem and might be facing divorce, you know? So uh, people are discreet and uh, don't always tell others that they're looking for information, but that's why I think it's incumbent upon all of us to, to share good tips and good information from good lawyers and professionals. So that's why uh, we try to play nice and do that on social media. So again, be kind and hit that like or share button. Mark, it's always a pleasure and uh, I will talk to you again soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. You have a great day. All right. All right. You have a great day, too. Everyone, have a great day. Bye now.